Welcome to the Men of Sorrows podcast. I am William Lloyd. I am the host of the podcast. Welcome to season two. Today officially kicks off season two of our podcast. We took a little break around the holiday time. And season two is going to be a little bit different in the sense that there are going to be three regular guests we don't. We haven't figured out if it's bi-weekly yet, or if it's going to be monthly. Maybe as our schedules go. But we had such a positive experience and and feedback with Greg Stutz, and then Dan Duddy came on, and the, and the three of us we decided that hey, we want to do this together, and I'm very grateful to them for wanting to do this with me. It is. Very interesting. We're all in different parts of the country, and but we all grew up in the same town. And if you listen to the last podcast with Greg Stutz and Dan Duddy, Dan Duddy was actually a coach of Greg Stutz. And so we talked on this podcast, we talked about our families and what we went through during the holidays. We talked a little bit of football, playoffs. Yada, yada, yada. We had a good time, and I really enjoyed these men. And they have been through, they've been through a lot in their lives, and we are we are men of sorrow seeking joy, and we do find that joy in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we find that joy just in each other. And we are forever grateful to God for giving us the will the desire to live again and, and to experience joy in the midst of great sadness. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Dan and Greg, catching up with them after the holidays and looking forward to the new year. All right, welcome Greg and Dan. This is season two. We're kicking off season two of Men of Sorrows today. So I appreciate you guys coming on to help me kick off season two. Let's just talk about how our holidays were because we wanted to do it a little bit earlier, but we're not too far removed from the time. And I know that a lot of people during the holidays, their grief gets somewhat complicated. I know that for you, Greg, this was your first, you know, you go through your history of, of first, the first year. After loss, this was the first year without Will. How did, how did you and your family, how did you fare up during this time? It was, um, it, it just, it continues to feel for me like everything is just sort of muted. You know, there's just a, highs right now aren't quite as high as they were. The, <clears throat> you know, I love, I love that especially that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas that just the anticipation, um, you know, of just, especially when kids are little and, and, you know, so that's part of it, just knowing Will wasn't going to be there. And so the anticipation I don't think was quite as fun as it had always been. And, you know, Christmas morning, it was Robin and me and our daughter, Erica, you know, Will's mom and, her son, Wes, um, and then uh, my son, who's uh, 
Actually, he's out in the field right now, his final training exercise before he gets his green beret next month. He and his wife, and I had married them on December 22nd. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, so we were all there, and and I think it was fun. You know, we enjoyed, you know, Christmas and being together and opening presents and all that. But I think for all of us, even though we didn't talk about him a whole lot, I think Will not being there was in everybody's mind, you know, probably a good amount of the time. Yeah, yeah. And and let's not forget that for you and for me and for Dan, um, you know, this this was the second or third without my dad. And you mm. know, the, you know, so I we, we always have that too. You know, the the, the longer we live, the more um, we're going to have others that, that go before us. And I'm the same way you. I love that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then, and the buildup and the anticipation and just all the fun and teasing and that goes mm -hmm. along with it. How about you, Dan? You celebrate your anniversary, right? Right around Christmas or on Christmas or? Uh, the anniversary of the the death of my son? No, your your wedding anniversary. Wedding anniversary, yeah. So yeah, yeah wedding. We were uh, married on the twenty first of December. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know that's it. That's in the holidays, of course, and uh, that's a wonderful celebration. And everything changes when the loss of the son. But we're coming up, and this is what I thought you might be alluding to. I would be amazed if you knew this, but we're coming up on the tenth year. So we're at different stages uh -huh. here. You know, the three of us men here, and I think it's. Um, Makes it makes it for maybe perhaps even more of a worthy conversation for our listeners who are suffering. So I'm at 10 years, and you you guys are explaining where you're at, um, and we'll continue to do that, I'm sure. So that's coming at, at us on February 8th. Uh, will be the anniversary of my son Francis's death. But mm -hmm. you know, here's life as as we grow, and I love the term "muted" that Greg used. Things are muted, and they, they kind of remain somewhat muted. I, I kind of relate it to, like, having that, that kitchen exhaust fan on. It's in the background, and we live our life, and mm. we have our hustle and bustle perhaps around mm. our home. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're left alone, and then, then you really hear that fan, you know. But in reality, you can shut that mm. fan off. But when we're, when we're grieving and, and that, that muted feeling is in us, you have to you have to face the fan because you're not going to shut it off. But I do want you to know that um, over time, and this is to give us all hope, the fan kind of becomes musical, you know, as we mm -hmm. heal. And as, as Billy said, you know, he had suffers the loss of his dad and since the loss of his son, you know. So we had a we have a a, a a young boy very dear to us around the age of Francis when we lost Francis at age 19. This boy is an only child, lost his dad over the break. So we're learning that when when we give and and what people come to us in their grief because they know that we lost our boy. And we, we find out that when we give in our grief, that we, you know, it's it's cathartic. We heal because of it. And there's a beauty in it, you know. I mean, gosh, I mean, in order, you know, the closer we get to God, the smaller we get. And uh you know, to, to understand death is really to understand the reason why we're here. So in our smallness, we find ourselves to be more generous. That's just me giving you personal witness. Uh, I do want to say also that over the break, the young man who was driving the car that killed my son, he was drunk. 
Um, and my son was drinking too. Um, we bumped into him in a store and we, uh, mm-hmm. we've only seen him twice in the last 10 years. He went to prison. Uh, we went to court. We forgave him publicly in court and asked for the lightest sentence that he could get. And we bumped into him and, uh, Wow. I mean, it was like one of those things, you know, where you turn the corner in a grocery store and boom, you know, you bump into the, the nice, the nice old lady with the shopping cart. We bumped into him. <laughs> yeah. and he, he was kind of stunned and, and the, Oh my God, I get choked up. The, uh, wow. such an innocence in his eyes and a true remorse. Like, like he completely melted into my wife and I rather than go, Oh, and then like back up and turn and walk away real fast, you know? And it turned into hugs, and he had tears in his eyes. That's the beauty, man, you know, and the the beauty of the Mm. human soul. And, you know, we told him once again, listen, Connor, we want you to know that we are okay. Life is moving along. We had a baby Francis. We had a baby Francis born right before Christmas. Mm. Uh, My my daughter, Anna, named, named him Francis. And he looks like Francis. He's not doing cartwheels yet. He's only like, you know, <laughs> Francis cartwheel before he can walk. So, uh, yeah, there's there's an absolute beauty in it. But, you know, when Sammy had come to us and his mother, who is dear friends with my wife, has come to us. And uh, at the loss of uh, Scotty, his dad, who I, I, you know, I love him. He's a great guy. So, uh, yeah. So here, you know, here we are, you know, we're. Not only dealing dealing with it, I think, is a word that I I, I don't want to say dealing with it anymore. We're we're living it, and mm. there's there's a beauty in it. There's an absolute beauty in it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that. You know that there there's is there is a beauty to it. There's a such a opportunity really to just stand, you know, just stand naked and unashamed before God. When, mm-hmm. when you're that vulnerable and, and laid low and there's there's really nowhere else to go. But I, I agree. I like the term that you use, Greg, muted. I remember yeah. um, I, I used the term flat. I remember mm-hmm. going through my, my grief and um, I would report in with John Glenn. He was my senior pastor, but he served as my grief counselor. I, I mentioned him quite often. Um, we spent many of days together and he, and he knew Liam's and, and he was acquainted with grief through Vietnam. And anyway, but I remember one day I said, well, I said, I guess it's, I guess it's manageable now. I said, I'm just, I'm just kind of flat, meaning, you know, there were no mm-hmm. super highs or happiness, but the, the agony and the despair was gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. since then, you know, I, I was kind of tracking it, and I know that um, in in the past, we, like our family with, with Grace being young, and even as she got older, Grace and I both being musical, uh, Christmas time was a time like for music and for celebration. And the first year after Liam died, I it's kind of a blur in my mind. And we would every year we would have a Christmas party. I know we didn't have a Christmas party that year, but that first year is a blur. I can't like I was trying to remember yeah. being we were gonna talk about it. I said, I I don't yeah. I, I have to talk to Carrie and Grace and remember what we did and who we spent time with. And then the second year, 
we had a party, but it was COVID time. So it was very low attended. And um, I remember the blanket. I remember grief was on. The sadness was like a blanket, but there was, there was some joy there. And then as, as time went on um, and the more God revealed things to me, I, I had a lot of joy. And then I remember last year, I was, we were, I was flying high. Grace mm. and I played in three different venues and we had a party and it was, everything was good. And then I don't know if it was Chris, I think it might've been, I just hit this wall and boom, like I, I felt sad. I felt really down and I thought, huh? And I said, well, I'm just going to roll with this, you know? In the past, I would have got panicked that I was almost like relapsing or something or that mm. total agony would come back, that unbearable part. But it, it never did. But I remember hitting that wall, feeling sad. remember missing my dad and, you know, thinking about Liam. And then and then it passed. And mm. this year kind of this year was kind of wasn't real high. There were really no lows, but it, it was definitely, definitely enjoyable. But it wasn't like last year, the highs were very high. <laughs> but mm -hmm. then I hit the wall. This year it was kind of just really nice. And, you know, um, you know, I know that my dad, you know, you know his story. He he really the day before Christmas, no, it was the twenty-third of December. And he told me I I called him on the phone. And whenever I would call my parents. Whoever, whichever parent answered, they put me on speakerphone, so I'd be talking to them both, especially the last year because they were home, they were both retired, and um, so I would talk to them. And I would, my talking to my mother had the phone, and my dad was at the table, and I asked how dad was, and he says, "I'm done, I'm done, Bill. I'm gonna see the king soon. Mm -hmm. that song, soon and very soon, I'm gonna see the king." And he says, "I'm, I'm done," and mm -hmm. I, I said, "Uh." I said, all right. I said, um, and my mom kept telling him, be quiet. Stop that. Be positive. And he said, I'm being positive. Yeah. I mean, my dad, and I could tell because on Thanksgiving, my brother sent me some pictures of them and I could see it on my dad. I could see the stress. And I remember asking my dad, I remember saying, dad, you know, I saw those pictures. You you look stressed out. And my, you know how my dad is. You've both experienced when he would go on his skits or soliloquies, whatever he does, you know. So he says, yeah, I was stressed out. He said, Thanksgiving morning. He said, no, he said, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, he says, I woke up and it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. And I said, oh, no, here we go. Should I go to the hospital? Shouldn't I go? And he didn't want to go. And he figured I'll get through Thanksgiving. He said, then Thanksgiving, it was pretty bad. And he goes, I was worried. You know, that grandpa was all of a sudden going to go face down in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and he went on and on like one or I'm walking across the kitchen and I fall and, you know, my head hits the table and it's bleeding now and I'm gurgling on the floor and the grandkids and he's going on and on. He goes, so yeah, I was stressed out. <laughs> and he has me in stitches and he's talking about his death. Yeah. So that was after Thanksgiving. So on this day, it was the 23rd of December. He said, he said that, you know, that's it. He said, that's, and I said, all right. I said, mom, I said, 
give the phone to dad. And I said, dad, take me off speakerphone. And I asked him, I said, dad, you know, is this, are you sure? And Carrie being, you know, just the person that she is, she took her phone and cause we were in the car and he was on the speakerphone. We, we, I parked the car just to talk to him and she recorded our conversation. Mm. And, um, he said, yeah, he said, you know, and then you could, you know, see that he was putting it in the Lord's hands, but he started to go all the way back and kind of do a life review. Mm. He talked about when he came out of the army and he went um, to apply for a job. And the secretary said that, you know, he loves the story. The secretary said, um, oh, no, that's, you know, we have all the applicants. The app applications were closed yesterday. And the guy from the back said, hey, is that Billy Lloyd just came back from Germany, just came back from the army? Wow. Send him in here and bring those applications. So the secretary goes in and they bring the applications and he took the applications and threw them in the garbage. <laughs> he says, I want to hire you. And, and he remembers that. So he started doing this. Now, I talked to my brother and sister on the phone that day. I said, hey, dad's, you know, my sister says, no, you know, my sister was total in denial. But when I look back over the past year, my dad's um, congenitive heart failure was really, I mean, it was really bad. And I think that he just fought it and it was really bad for a long time, but he just kind of lived his life and he really didn't let anybody know except me. He talked to, he talked to me more about it than he did my brother and sister. So then on Christmas Eve, I get a call from my sister and she said, I think daddy just died. I said, well, what do you mean you think? There's no, <laughs> she said, well, he did. He, he was at that house Christmas Eve. My mom called. My brother and sister said, something's going on with daddy. Come over here. So they went over. And the way the, the story has been told is that my dad, did the, he did the death. He was with my sister. My sister was behind him, had her hands on him and was praying for him. And my brother's trying to get, you know, Dr. Scott Lloyd. He he had my dad doing some um, nebulizer treatments and stuff because my dad did have, like, he was getting a cold and, you know, but he had his heart failure, then he was getting a cold. It, it turned into a pneumonia. So my brother was trying to get this stuff. And my dad's head went back and he was he was gone. So then my brother... And my brother-in-law get him on the ground, and my brother starts giving CPR and hitting his chest. And they called nine one one, and they brought him back. Wow! And uh, it was funny because I teased my brother about this, and he he wouldn't mind me saying. My brother yells to my dad, "Please, be strong for me and Nathaniel." Now Nathaniel's his son, so my my brother wanted my dad to to stay alive. You know that was you know he's in a panic. You know my dad's dying and uh i said well what are we chop liver <laughs> you know <laughs> be strong for me and nathaniel yeah. then my sister was mad that my brother like why couldn't he die peacefully at home because that was during that new jersey was still under covid crap mm. and no one could go see him in the hospital mm. but here's the thing this is what i believe because john john my friend john glenn always says when you're done loving the last person you're supposed to love like Christ, you'll go home. When your mission's mm. over, God's going to take you home. And 
My dad, when he went into that hospital, the nurses were blown away, number one, by his faith and how much he like he didn't even care about himself. He kept asking, are they OK? Or, you know, or, you know, like, don't you know, if I'm sick, don't get too close to me. And, and just the way and he he was a witness to those nurses because the nurse actually contacted my sister and said, we usually don't do this, but I really want to come to your dad's services. You know, he was wow. such, he was, he, no other, I've never had a patient like him. So I really believe that that was the, uh, um, and my dad had, and my dad, and I got a, my brother, I think recorded it, but my dad saw, you know, he saw some of the people, he saw some things on the other side. Yep. It's pretty neat too, but yep. What happened was that was the, the sad part about it was that um, nobody could go see him. And then I got on the phone and I made it to where my mom could go in and see him. And they said, well, yeah, they said, and, and my sister was going to go. And so we had it scheduled for January 7th. And I remember... Um, my sister called me first. She said, we were supposed to go at one. It was 10. She said, we're supposed to go at one, but they told us to get there now. You know, I think, I think this is it. So then I hung up on, cause I'm in Florida. I hung up and I called my brother. I said, they're over on their way now. And I asked Scott, I said, I said, are you going? And he said, well, I, I know where dad's going. You know, I know where, you know, I know I'm going to see. Him. And I said, Scott, I don't want you to have any regrets. Mm. You know, and I then I saw I, I could hear him on the other side like, oh, so we hung up and then he called me back. He goes, should I go? I said, Scott, you should go if you're even questioning. So they went and um, they were they were masking up and they were putting gowns and they were masking up. And while they were doing that, my, my dad breathed his last. Wow. So then they went through. Wow. My, Scott thinks my dad was like. I don't want them coming in here. I'm out of here. But a lot of the NDE people, you know, say that they they're, they see everything for a bit. And I said, listen, I said, dad heard you. You know, they went in there and they, they, they talked to him. I said, he heard you. But that was January 7th. You know, it was the 24th, but it was the 7th that he actually, you know, went and, um, I remember my sister calling me like, like she couldn't, I, she goes, I didn't know it was going to hurt this bad. You know, mm. I didn't know it hurt this bad. And my dad did tell me, he said, listen, he said, he said, listen, you and I are talking, you're saying everything you want to say to me, this is going to be easy for you compared to what you went through with Liam. He says, but you have to be there for your brother and sister, you know? Well, and, um, and my sister thought she would think she said, she said, thinking back, she thought, oh, when my parents go, I know they're in heaven. I know they're with Jesus and it's going to be easy. And she was devastated, mm. devastated. So we have to mourn. You know, the, the Paul doesn't tell us don't mourn. He says, don't, you know, he says mourn with the hope, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but that, yeah, that was my dad's story. I didn't plan on telling it, but I. I Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Boy, Bill, your your dad was such a good man. I wish I knew him better than I even did, but what a good man he was. Yeah. 
Yeah, likewise. You know, your dad. And, you know, yeah. what I saw on my memory page today was what my dad wrote to you when uh, your dad died. And then oh, you wow. forwarded it to me when my dad died. And you said, this is what your dad sent me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's coming for us. Um, it's coming. Well, of course, Will died February last year, but um, what's today? The 15th. So January 18th last year, Erica came home with Will. They had been in the hospital down in Little Rock, which is about 200 miles from us. So, you know, a little less than a three hour drive home. And they got home that night and I guess they had finished a round of chemo or something and he was going to be home for a little while. And, um, they got home, I think about seven o'clock at night and, uh, Erica ended up putting him to bed a little bit later. And then I normally, I don't, you know, 10 is kind of late for me to stay up, <laughs> but I was still up at 10 30 and Erica came downstairs, you know, cause she and Will of course and Wes live with us. She came downstairs and said, I think I need to go to the ER. And she said, you know, here, take my pulse. So I tried to take her pulse in her wrist and I couldn't find her pulse. It was, and she said, well, try my neck. And I couldn't, couldn't find it in her neck either. Her heart was beating so fast. You couldn't st distinguish between beats. Mm -hmm. And so um, I stayed home with, with Will and Robin took Erica to the ER and they had to sedate her and then shock her heart twice to get it back into rhythm. So that was a Wednesday night. So she's, they admitted her, she was in the hospital, I think for about what Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, maybe four nights. And uh, they ended up doing a procedure on her a few months later and, and fixed, fixed the problem with her heart. But, um, the next day after she went into the ER, I was home with Will all day and we had just such a good day. Um, it was real, well, like it is today, real cold. We went outside though. We went for a walk and just had a great time together. And, uh, I remember late afternoon, I was, I was sitting there and he came over and he put his head down on him. He kind of, he kind of whimpered a little bit and I knew uh, uh, something he's not feeling good. And then Robin got home from the hospital with being with Erica, I don't know, a couple hours later, maybe. And she said, he feels warm. And we took his temperature was 102. And so she took will to, cause any, you know, any, fever, I think over 100.4 with an oncology patient, you go right to the ER. And so she took him over to Children's Hospital uh, in the next town over from us, which is a good hospital. It's just not equipped like the one in Little Rock is. And so, um, but they, I don't know, it was like nine or 10 at night. She took Will in and uh, it's interesting. I took a picture of him sitting in his car seat uh, you know, it's late at night and he's just kind of staring straight ahead. And I've, I've looked at that picture since, and he, he wasn't real verbal, but I just wonder if he knew I don't feel good. 
I'm in my car seat late at night. This never goes well. Like this is not something that I want to do. Yeah. But they, um, of course I admitted him as soon as she, you know, they saw he had a fever and, but he never came out of the hospital again. They, they ended up transferring him to little rock two days later, maybe. Uh, and he never, he never came home again, but, um, you know, that was one of the, that week. I think that was one of those times when you're like, okay, we've got, you know, you got Will who, of course we had no idea he was going to die like, you know, four or five weeks later. But, you know, that, that was one of those, okay, we've got a daughter in one hospital in the ER. We've got a, a now admitted and then you've got a grandson in another hospital and he's being admitted and it's, you know, um, yeah. So the, all that's coming up that like, that's this week, like that's yeah. later this week, the one year anniversary of all that stuff. And I know, you know, I'll be aware of it. I know Erica will be surely aware of it too. Yeah. Yeah. What are you thinking, Dan? My daughter, Anna, who just gave birth to Francis, was in Children's Hospital. This is the whole community, body of Christ thing here. Our sufferings are unique, but then again, they're all mm -hmm. the same. And Anna was, uh, we were told that Anna, Anna was born, but we knew <clears throat> Anna was the only baby we really knew in the womb, you know, knew her gender because she wasn't supposed to make it out of the womb. Wow, she had a mass on her neck the size of my fist, which is pretty pretty big on a on a baby, of course. Wow, called uh, hemangioma, and was eating her platelets, and uh, so she was born as a very high risk baby in Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, and uh, we stayed at Ronald McDonald House, and the doctors said we just got to get her through her first year, but that was week to week, month to month. Uh, but what was uh, the beauty of the story is obviously she survived. She wasn't supposed to be able to reproduce, have children. That was one of the greatest uh, risks or give give backs that she survived. Let me say too, after her first year, the doctor said, now we have to get her through her second year. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so she spent her first couple of months on a respirator. I had to give her chemotherapy in her leg, a shot. So all she ever saw from my eyes meant pain. Ah. And uh, it was horrible to see her eyeballs wince every time I gave her that shot. But, uh, yeah, so she uh, obviously uh, survived with a whole lot of prayer. But the, the, the number of people that rallied around us as we ra rally around each other here, this is all part of just a small part of the beauty of what we're talking about in our mourning and our grief. That, that gave her platelets and kept her alive. I mean, she, her platelet count was well below at times uh, the fatal count. Uh, miraculously, she always got, she always recovered. <clears throat> got to the point where doctors said, this is going to have to be her last platelet, uh, you know, transfusion uh, because she's not going to tolerate it anymore. Wow. And that was, that was the one to turn the corner. Huh. And, and here she is uh, just giving birth in the name of 
Francis, the boy we lost. So, wow. Yeah. 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 I remember when we did the last podcast, Anna was, she was delivering. Yeah. There you go. So that's the news to the, to those that are listening that remember that we, we talked about that. And then you text us later that um, she named the baby. Yeah. Yeah. I remember telling Grace that and Grace really welled up with tears over all that. You know, we have these cliches, you know, there's peaks and valleys, right? But I think as we get older and we learn that through Christ himself, there there's no such thing as tragedies. Everything is triumphant. You know, the crucifix is triumphant in itself. That life in itself, when we know Christ and we become small and we turn our life over, as Paul begs us to, um, it's nothing but peaks, you know, uh, in our smallness that, you know, we are the valley, right? We're, we're, we are we are the cross ourselves. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's the greatest way to heal is to, you know, the, the healing is in the wound, right? The, the place of the wound is the place of the healing. So uh, that's where that's where we need to go. That's where we need to climb in there and take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a supernatural thing that God does. I, I can't explain it to other people. And when, you know, other people are, you know, we've have we have several friends that are kind of going through it. Um, very close friends of ours are coming up on their um, year anniversary of losing their daughter, which was Grace's best friend, um, to, to brain cancer. February 15th will be a year. And um, so it's, but, and there's nothing that we can do but sit and be present and um we might have a word or we might not you know like we might have something to say that will really help them but most of the time it's it's listening it's it's being present it's letting them tell their story you know mm -hmm. i had to tell my story about liam over and over again um and that was part of the journey for me that was part of the healing but but Unless God really touches that wound and heals that wound and begins to work, I I don't I I I feel bad for those that, that don't experience that, you know, because I can't explain it. I know what God did for me, and I know that um, faith. There was a crisis of faith followed by just there's no denying in my mind. You know what what God did and what He did is, is real. You know, so it's it's very um, it's it's just it's something that is almost frustrating at the same time because you want to give it to other people, but you can't because it has to be God. It has to be His timing. Everybody grieves differently. There's no timeline. There's no formula for it. I read everything. You know, me and my warped mind thought i'm gonna do this right i'm gonna i'm gonna do it the right way because i'm gonna get better you know i'm gonna do this right i'm gonna mourn right and then i learned that you know that that was a fallacy to, to say the least you know um, i think i think our wounds definitely ooze ooze a certain peace and god through miraculous hands and transforms that oozing excuse the visuals, but pus from our wounds into a peace and an ointment for those around us. Mm -hmm. so we, you know, we as men need to not be afraid to let that happen. I spoke to 
3,500 students just last spring graphically about the loss of Francis and how it affected the siblings and the community. And so that each one of those students, 17 high schools, I think it was, and I'm not going to go in there without going into the dark part of it and relive it and have the emotions of it. Otherwise, I'm, it might as well be one of those health class videos, you know? Yeah. Because, um, they, they, you know, the, to touch the heart, you have to speak from the heart. And you gotta, you got to be as human as you possibly can. So mm -hmm. I want to tell you that I, w I went into a diner, actually, in Brick last week. Very rare for me to do so. And sitting by myself. And when I went to pay uh, a couple, a uh, middle-aged couple, maybe pre-middle-aged, a uh, woman came up to me and tapped me and said, tapped me on the shoulder, said, Coach Duddy. And I didn't, I honestly didn't recognize her. God forgive me, but I pretended that I knew her, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, my goodness, how are you? You know, and she goes, oh, Kate just graduated Monmouth. And I was like, oh, boy, time flies. I don't remember Kate. But uh, <laughs> she, she said, uh, I want to tell you that she called us one time at a party in Monmouth, Monmouth University and asked me to come pick her up and uh, because there was drinking going on and she didn't want to drive. And uh, when she got in the car, she said, uh, I'm doing this because of Francis Duddy and his story. Wow. Yeah. And uh, she had heard the story, you know, I, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a catalyst that was, you know. So we know that it's happening out there more than uh, kate's mom she was like an angel you know that just came next to me because mm -hmm. i had my doubts you know and it was just like she was representative of many wow there's a mother that's yeah that's mother's heart you know yeah exactly yeah exactly so mm -hmm. we, we we do really even our doubts that we do need to talk about it and know really we try to say this humbly because God picks it up and makes it very powerful and real for us to talk about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I've been reading, I'm reading a book now called Out of the Embers um, mm -hmm. by Brad Jersak. Have any of you heard of Brad Jersak? Mm -hmm. Brad Jersak was, um, he's a pastor, a very deep theologian. And he was, he pastored a church. He's Canadian. So he, he, I don't know, there's something quirky to me about the Canadians, you know, and um, really um, I've read a few of his books and listened to his podcast, but he, he went through such a crisis of faith to where he couldn't, he couldn't get out of bed. Mm. And it was a lot of what he recognized in himself, codependency, but there was one tragedy after another in his congregation and the, and the evil and the suffering and the sin. And, and like, he just, he, he just, he kind of broke and he, he had this crisis of faith and he went through, and it's a kind of a buzzword today um, among the churches and, um, deconstruction you heard that term mm -hmm. deconstruction yep. that it's a deconstructing of your faith that what you were raised with or what you were taught you're realizing that's not necessarily true and you go through this 
And he pointed out, he goes, it's easy for the critics to, to criticize the hypocrisy or the superficial parts of the faith or the things that go wrong in the church. Um, but he, he kind of quoted and he went into the writings of Voltaire, which I didn't know, but Voltaire was a huge critic of Christianity to where people thought, you know, he was the devil, the Antichrist, but he was not, he never criticized Christ. He never criticized, you know, he, he just went after the superficial parts. And then in his next writing, he bashed the atheists because they, they didn't have any answers. But one of the things that he talked about was for faith to be authentic, you have to go through the wilderness. You know, that you see that pattern in the scriptures, Jesus going into the wilderness, Moses in the wilderness. And, but Jersak said, listen, he says, the thing that's wrong with Voltaire's um, contention is that you can't manufacture suffering. You know, you might be able to deny yourself some things or fast or this or that. He goes, you, but you really can't manufacture human suffering. And he said, and you don't have to, because sooner or later, it, it's coming your wilderness journey, your crisis of faith, whatever it is, it's it's coming. I had been going through my own deconstruction prior to Liam's death. There were things that really that were toxic in my life that I believed um, that it wasn't really anyone's fault. It came from my own mind that um, was bent towards either negative thinking or feelings of worthlessness and didn't truly believe that God loved me unconditionally. And what a time to, to be going through that type of thing and then have when, when Liam took his life, it upended everything. But I, I believe that during those times, God will shake off what he, you know, any misinformation, for lack of a better word, about mm -hmm. him. He'll shake off any toxic faith or any and it talks about that, I think, in Hebrews, that there's a shaking and what remains is going to be even stronger. And, um, you know, I'm more convinced now of my relationship with Jesus Christ, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit working in in my life every single day, no matter what it looks like, feels like. But that that was not manufactured by me. That was something that that God did. That was Jesus being the you know, the vine, me being a branch and the father being the gardener, you know, the, the husbandman. And that's all it is. And I like what he, but I like the point that Brad Jersak made and all three of us talking here is that we don't have to go looking for the suffering. It's going to come just by living in this sin-cursed world and these sin-cursed bodies. It's coming, you know, and um, we don't have to manufacture it. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made for a really long time was somehow thinking that, you know, and I guess my, my thought process went this way. Well, God, God's all powerful and he's a good father. He loves me. So therefore things should go well. And when things wouldn't go well, it made me angry. I was angry for a long time and, you know, my my theology at that point, my my worldview on suffering and and whatever else, it just it wasn't biblical. All I had to do was read Philippians three ten. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection 
and participation in his sufferings. I mean, there it is. I mean, God himself, I think I might have talked about it last time, but I just, I love, you know, what J. Vernon McGee said, you know, this is God's universe and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe, (laughs) you know? And yeah, I forget who said this. If I had all of the knowledge that God has, I would do things exactly the way he's doing them. And so really, you know, that's the goal, right? We, we yeah. want to know him better. You know, Israel knew God's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. Like, Lord, I want to know your ways. I want to know not just what you do, but why you do them. And I want to know your heart. And, you know, I, I think all three of us just feel that, you know, there's, there's no, you can't play around with the Christian life. Like it's not for the faint of heart. Right. You know, like Dad it, said, it, you got to look good on wood. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. If you're not, like, I, I think that's, I, I you know, I, I see where people, Bill, you talk about, you know, deconstructing their faith. If you don't have a correct view of how God views suffering and just hardship and difficulties and loss, then I get why people walk away. If they think, Mm -hmm. you know, God's all powerful and completely loving, therefore I should not have to suffer. If, if that's your therefore, you're going to lose your faith. It, you're going to become so disillusioned that you're going to throw in the towel because none of it makes sense. And and that's where I think you hear people say things like, well, I just can't believe in a God who would allow that to happen mm-hmm. or who would allow evil or who would, you know, not step yeah. in and save the little baby or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, you know, that whole idea of, they, they call it the odyssey, the, the, the study of, of evil and why it exists and if God is all loving and all powerful. Um, you have to, at some point you just have to embrace the mystery and say, well, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. And that's okay. Because yeah. the absolutes is that God loves us and that he'll never leave us or forsake us and that he will walk through that valley of the shadow of death. He'll, he'll take our hand and He'll sit, he'll sit in the darkness in our stubbornness, you know. But like you said, mm-hmm. I think if I think I, I had the opposite problem. I, I thought um I took human depravity to the the extreme level that that was me. And if anyone, you know, I didn't deserve anything from God. And if people were the slightest bit nice to me that day, I should just be super grateful. And if mm-hmm. people treat me like crap I deserve you know what I mean it was very yeah very um um difficult and it started to to change when I saw well God makes a distinction between the flesh and the spirit and he's changing me from the inside out he's conforming me to the image of the son it's his work spiritual growth is a is a, a process but going back to what you said I, I have a dear friend that's kind of 
want anything to do with God because of uh, tragedy. And I, I, I'm waiting, but I want to say, listen, God never made that deal with you. You know, <laughs> why did this happen to my, my, my child? Um, they never did anything wrong. They were a good person on and on. And all of that's true. They were good. They were sweet. They were, but God didn't make that deal. You know, he didn't, mm -mm. he, he broke in to the darkness. He, he broke into the backdrop of human failure and human history. Like Dan said earlier, he said the cross in itself is a victory in the sense that people, they, they lied about Jesus. They, they, put him in a kangaroo trial. They spit in his face, told him, we don't want you. We don't need you. Give us Barabbas. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, he didn't succumb to that. He didn't, he didn't retaliate. He didn't give in to hatred. He kept loving every single human being and everyone that was involved in doing that to him. He never stopped loving them. And that was the overcoming. That was the overcoming sin. That was overcoming the world. That was overcoming to the point to where he, you know, they, they crucified him and he, he, he submitted to it. You know, Tony Campola says, you know, Jesus could have called, called 10,000 or 12,000 angels. He goes, I would have called those angels with machine guns to blow every sucker away, you know, and be, that's because we're not God, you know, and so that God didn't make that deal that we wouldn't suffer, that we wouldn't have heartache and pain. The deal he did make is that he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and he'll comfort us. And our role in that, we were talking about it, and Dan was talking about the use. You know, that reminded me of, you know, 2 Corinthians where it says that, you know, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our sorrows that we may comfort others in their sorrows. And really... I believe many, many times it's just our presence that's going to be a comfort. It's going to be a comfort. I remember a story, uh, a friend of mine, he was a custodian at the school that I was teaching at, and his mother passed away. And he was a believer, and we would talk quite often. And um, I remember he came back from his mom's funeral. I asked him how it went, and he said that, he thought that it was a spiritual cliche festival and, you know, it, it was annoying to him, the people he goes, but my aunt, he goes, when I cleaned up the house and I sat down, he said that the aunt came over and um, just sat with him on the couch and just sat next to him and just sat there and waited. And then he started bawling. He started crying. And um, that was, that was pretty, pretty telling you know that she didn't say a word but it, it comforted him and you know i i think that you know the idea of just spiritual cliches which really come from from probably a shallow relationship with the lord mm -hmm. uh i think those can do a lot of damage yeah you know to those around us of course to ourselves but you know maybe is that why one of the is that one of the reasons Jesus said, you know, in Revelation, was it two? You know, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Yeah. And it's that, I think it's that idea. If somebody's hot for Christ, that's attractive. If somebody's cold, 
at, at least they're not claiming, you know, to be a Christ follower. But mm -hmm. the person who's lukewarm is probably the one that just lives by cliches. And I think that, that it can do a lot of harm to people. Yeah. I, in, in the recovery circles and addiction, um, my, my friend Joe's take on that was that, um, you know, you're, you're better hot or cold. <clears throat> when you're cold, you're going you're gonna to hit rock bottom quicker. You know, for the drug addicts, they're not going to seek help till they hit rock bottom. And that's that's a different process for everybody else. And he always says that if someone says they want to go out and use, I'll give them a starter kit. <laughs> he said, uh. because, you know, the faster they, they get done with that cycle, the, the better. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah. Anyway, you know, and that's 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 I think, you know, um our goal and that's why I, I wanted you guys to come on regularly because I, I sense that your goals line up that we want to take our pain and our heartache and and love others with it and mm -hmm. and, and give back to others um which i wanted to kind of turn the corner a little bit and talk about you know we're in a we're in 2024 now it's going to be a a new year um i I don't, I don't, I stopped making New Year's resolutions years ago. Um, and one was because I feel like every day I, I wanted to, to kind of strive and, and try to do better. Um, one of the, one of the parts of my tools that God put in my toolbox of faith and walking with him is, is a, a 12 steps. And the 10th the step is you continue to take inventory and when you are wrong you promptly admit it you know and it's always kind of looking and 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 it's a day in and day out growth and especially since liam died um the one day at a time admonition that christ gave us and james too um james tells us came because i i didn't know i said lord i can't live like this i can't make it you know i'm not going to mm -hmm. make you know, um, because, and I know people meant well, but some people told me, you know, it's never going to get better. It's never going to change. And I thought if it doesn't, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to die. And I remember the Holy Spirit, you know, spoke to me and said, you don't have to do this the rest of your life. You just have to do today. Just know that I'm with you today and, and moment by moment. So, but I, I, I kind of have a few goals in my mind um, for 2024 and one of them is um, I, I, I just made an easy, well, not easy, but not to, I made a goal to read at least 12 books. And I, I went through um, this book called Atomic Habits, and then there was another one. One of the things that I noticed is that since I used to read, you know, fervently, I used to read books all the time, and then the internet came out, and then the cell phones and and i noticed that i i read a lot less and so last starting last year i i took certain apps off my phone and just kind of changed those habits and have been been reading more so one of the goals i set was i i want to read at least 12 books at least once a month and um if i if i do more than that that'll that'll be fine and then the other thing that 
I want to do is I started to write kind of a um, memoir on my my journey through grief with with Liam, and in that memoir, kind of flashed back to different points of his life as a child. Um, and it's funny because Carrie was cleaning out the garage, and she came across something that was in the folder, and it was. Um, Liam started writing his own journey through yeah. the Corps and, um, you know, how, and, and one of the things he said, he, in his dedications, he said to my dad, thank you for standing by my side these 29 years through thick and thin, and you will remain a hero in my heart forever. Mm. <laughs> so that was good to read, but I realized that. He, he was 29 when he died. So he started writing this um, about why he wanted to join the Marines. And he talked about um, 911. And uh, so it's it's very interesting. So I want I, I, I have a rough draft of my written memoir about the journey. And I kind of want to I kind of want to finish that this year. But I'm OK if I don't, because one of. Liam's and I favorite books that we read together when he was little, and then he he read it, and then we saw different movie versions of it and all. And um, was the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and uh, there was actually thirteen years between the book. He was halfway done. He put it down, and it was thirteen years later that he picked it up and finished it. So, I guess I have some time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Greg? You you have any um, writing goals or anything going on this year? I read the second last time I had finished. We talked. I had finished the Christmas Promise, and I read the uh, Lakeside Conspiracy, which actually there's some action that happens in Seaside Park, Dan. And uh, but the other thing that I like that you did is that you gave tribute to Coach Wolf, the coach giving out the gum between oh, yeah. <laughs> every player. I forgot Coach Wolf did that until you mentioned it. He did yeah. every player. And when Liam and I went up, we saw Coach Wolf's last game. Um, it was right before Liam was um, going to go into the Marines in January 2009. So 2008, Liam came to me says, Dad, I want to go up. Before I go into Marines, I want to go up to see everybody, you know, that side of the family. And I talked to Carrie Ann and the girls and they were like, well, why don't you and Liam just go for Thanksgiving and you come back and then we'll have Thanksgiving. They waited for me. Mm -hmm. I had two, but Liam and I went up and I said, Liam, you're going to see an old fashioned New Jersey Thanksgiving because we don't have that down here, mm -mm. football games and all that. And it was Coach Wolf's, it was his last game, and he was given gum out. I said, look at that. You know, I said, Coach Wolf does this to every play. He gives every player gum. It's a way for him to connect. So I, I kind of thought that was pretty cool that you wrote that in your book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was like I a had, wink, right? A wink and a nod to Coach yeah, Wolf. exactly. Yeah. I've got um, – Bill, you, you mentioned just habits. I think I've tried to – maybe, you know, with varying degrees of success, tried to just think in terms of what are my habits rather than, um, you know, I've got to, 
you know, write this many words every day, or I've got to do, you know, accomplish this certain goal by, you know, the end of the first quarter or whatever. So I've been trying to, you know, get back into, I'm about two thirds of the way through writing book five in that series that you mentioned. And because I've, I've been away from the book for so long, I've had to go back and reread it, which I don't normally, I would, I don't recommend doing that. If you're writing a book, don't, don't reread what you've already written. Get through the whole first draft first, because um, mm. the, the first draft is not good, you know? Yeah. And if you keep rereading what you wrote yesterday, you realize this is terrible writing. <laughs> this, I did, so yeah. The the best writing advice I ever got was write fast to stay ahead of the self-doubt. So um I'm just I'm having to go back through because I've been away from the story for so long. I don't remember what I wrote. So I'm rereading and editing just a little bit editing, cleaning up the story. And so probably another week or so I'll be through the forty thousand words I've already written and uh and be able to get on with writing the rest of this story. But um, that's, that's kind of the goal is just to write every day, you know, and then not beat myself up if I don't. Um, and, you know, hopefully by just being consistent again, whether it's writing for two hours or 10 minutes, I can get out, you know, a few books this year, which I'd, I'd like to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest habit you know, I don't know if we had talked about it last time the three of us were together, but I think I'm trying to think in terms of being kind to to the Greg Stutz of January 15th, 2025. Be uh, kind to that guy yeah. from, your t- from today so that he doesn't have to look back at the previous year and have a lot of regrets. Yeah. You know, be kind to that guy now. What, yeah. what would he want me to, if he came back in time and said, Wow, this was a great year. Thank you for what you did. What what was you know what would those things be? Um, you know, probably being with the Lord every day, and you know, trying to eat better and exercise consistently and write every day. Um, you know, those are my 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 verse. I don't know. Probably going back five or six years. Robin and I have kind of had a theme for each year and. For me, for us this year, it's, you know, First Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do that. How do you rejoice always? And, and really, what does it even mean to rejoice? I've looked at a lot of articles and almost all of them talk about, um, you know, you should rejoice for these reasons. And... Um, but nobody actually talks about what does rejoice mean? It means to be glad. It means to, I don't, you know, again, be glad, but mm-hmm. it can't be just a feeling because it's hard to manufacture feelings. Um, you know, and Billy mentioned, you know, Hebrews earlier, but, you know, in, uh, well, right before talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross 
So joy is such a big deal that it's what got Jesus through the cross. And so obviously rejoice has something to do with joy, but mm -hmm. I, I really want to discover that this year. I want to discover what does it actually mean to rejoice always? And, uh, you know, cause Paul says a couple of verses later, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know, rejoice always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, if that's his will, I want to know, how do I rejoice? What does mm -hmm. that mean? Mm -hmm. so that's a yeah. big one this year. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. Um, one of the things Grace um, sent me, i read it. Um, her professor told her, if you allow yourself to write poorly, you'll never have writer's block. <laughs> that that That's really good. Yeah. That is, that is really good advice is, you know, when you just start writing, especially, I don't know, it, I don't think if it matters whether it's fiction or nonfiction, just get it out there. Yeah. Just get all your thoughts out there. And then the second draft is when you fix things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, even a third draft when you really, uh, like Bill, you probably noticed, I don't use a lot of description when I write. So there's just enough to give you a feel for, yeah, you know, like what does the football stadium look like? Yeah, you know, um, and but if if you want to add more description for me, that probably second or third draft is when to do that. If I want to describe more of how that day felt, you know, there was a cold, biting wind. The leaves were whipped around the fifty-yard line, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know add that later. But if I'm going to sit there and try to figure out how to describe what that field looks like or how the wind, that's where I get bogged down. And so just get the story or get the, get all the words out there and then fix it later. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, to be honest, that's why I really like your books because I'm, I'm a visual text person. Mm -hmm. When someone tells me to picture something in my mind, I can't. Yeah. So when the author goes into a lot of detail to describe the landscape or whatever, it's it's kind of lost on me because I can't I can't picture that. that you know, I there, can't either. That, that goes into the learning styles thing. And um, yeah. <clears throat> it's funny when people give me directions of where to go. Tell me, do I go right or left in the name of the street? Like before we have GPS, right? Do I right. go right or left and tell me the name of the street and I'll get there. Otherwise, they'll say like, People used to give me directions and say, uh, well, you know, there's a Sunoco station. And if you turn right <laughs> on that street, you know, there's this house and it has this tree that bends. And I'm, <laughs> no, right. stop. It's not. Right. Um, any, <laughs> how about you, yeah. Dan? What's going on with the Dan Duddy Incorporated? Wow. It's just great to listen to you guys. It's, uh, it's sitting back in here and uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's actually inspiring, too, and personally inspiring. I have written a book. I have a book, Greg, that uh, I need to dust off and uh, finish. So yep. your advice is very, very practical to me. It's I've, I've I've been holding this book embarrassingly for too long for me to even admit. It's uh, it's about 280 pages. It's uh, it's entitled uh, 22 Eyes. Uh, it relates to 11 guys in the huddle mm. and how the eyeballs uh, are you know the window to the soul as cliche tells us 
but it's very uh, it's very human based. Uh, it's biographical, autobiographical, and uh, it's subtitled "Take My Heart and Give Me Yours," which is my uh, mantra uh, in my relationship with Christ, and was uh, my mantra. Oh, that's good. Yeah, take my heart and give me yours, which is uh, simple, fundamental, and uh, keeps me in my proper place. And uh, has an awful lot to do with how that led uh, and healed me or gave me, uh, you know, a spiritual understanding of the loss of my son because my heart was taken and I was given the heart of Christ through faith. You know, and I know that in, in our work as true Christians who have really been chosen, called and chosen, uh, I think we're obviously we're all called by the sheer nature of our creation. But when we turn our eyes to Christ and walk toward him, then we become chosen. I always, I always uh, when I'm speaking to uh, on that chosen concept, you know, when you know we were blessed with eight kids and when they were all leaving the house, say, for example, at the same time, and I noticed that the trash needed to be taken out. Rather than name one, I'd say, hey, and, you know, whoever turned around was the chosen one. I'd go, you, to come take this part, you know. <laughs> and awesome. uh, such is true in our own humanity, our own creation. You know, oh, our I like Lord that. Says, yeah. Our Lord says, hey, you know, we turn around, <laughs> and here we are, chosen to take the garbage out, really to be sanctified and to get banged up so that we can really come to know his heart, you know. And uh, so that sanctification is really an honor. It's a badge of honor, you know, suffering, sanctification, Yep. And it's very difficult for us to evangelize uh, uh, people who see a non-loving God when they, when our Lord is trying to sanctify them and make them worthy of heaven through through some suffering. And that, that's a tough nut. I get that. And that goes back yeah. to what you guys were uh, alluding to a, a while ago. Jay, I'm going to finish that book. Uh, Greg Stutz just inspired me to do so. <laughs> I, I hope that you and I can stay in contact regularly so that because I need to do that. Uh, I prayed. <clears throat> you know, I, I've, I've prayed this before, and uh, it's a wonderful sanctification, painful sanctification that comes from this prayer. But I will ask our Lord in in simple colloquy, as my friend St. Ignatius uh, begs us to do in his spiritual exercises, to uh, show me my sinfulness. Show me my, mm. show me my, show me the truth of who I am. Let me have the courage to see my sins and let me. Let me have the uh, the humility to uh, make reparation for my sins. Let me truly know myself. And man, is that scary. But the love that comes right behind the, the knowledge of such is immense. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the brick football position opened up, and I'm 68 next month. I put my name in for it, and it, it was it, it's been unbelievable. There's a newness in me just by the sheer nature of the application and uh, the interview last week. Uh, you talking about coaching? Yeah. Head coach? And, yeah. And, uh, wow. Oh, <laughs> man. I, I hope that happens. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So I appreciate Woo. that from you guys especially. So there's there's a vocation deeply ingrained in that. And I told him the interview board last week, this is a vocation. This is why I'm back. Shame on you if you're going to look at my age. I said <laughs> I, was 30, I was 38 years old up here in the Brick State Final, Brick versus Central Regional. I was 38 head, head coach Central Regional. A 68-year-old head coach beat me. I, I'm not 68 yet. You know, so, <laughs> That's right. so it was uh, a lot of fun. I feel very much alive. And then the next day I got a phone call from St. John Vianney High School. I never – even knew there was a position open and they asked me to come speak theology. Um, 
teach theology for the rest of the spring semester or for the spring semester. Um, I said, I don't even have a theology degree. And they said, we want you to come. Our Lord put me there, you know, so That's there I right. am that next week. So uh, when you pray, oh, my goodness, when brace yourself, when you pray to come the true knowledge of yourself. Yeah, you're going to find your sinfulness. But moreover, way over the top is the inconceivable mercy and love that our Lord has for you, because he gave me both like my sinfulness when I first started to feel it and remember, oh, my gosh. You know, it was that big. And then through his mercy and forgiveness, it becomes that big. Then you become, you know, as small as we're called to be. But then his mercy, forgiveness and love. I mean, these two things I just told you about is immense. Wow. It covers it all. You know, it's and that's where we need to bring our brothers and sisters who really are born in, in Christ. But it's just that fundamental thing. They just we need to get our brothers and sisters to absolutely sell out and live the fundamental truth that we have absolutely nothing to do with the fact that we exist. <laughs> nothing. I'm so true, so simple. And that who are we to cry over this, what it, we know in our Christian hearts by the grace of God, only the sanctification, this pain and suffering when we have nothing to do with the fact that we're here. I mean, that's the problem. That that's that's the issue. But how do we get our people to come there? I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I'm going to dig back into uh, as I did last year. I did 90 days with Saint Ignatius spiritual exercises, examination of conscious, not conscience, conscious, knowing that when we get down deep, 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 deep into our very soul. And we do these spiritual exercises, we consciously act and think in an entirely different way. And I did that last year, beginning uh, January 3rd. I haven't started it yet. I'll start it very, very soon. 4.30 in the morning. It calls for 30 days, six hours a day. Um, father and a husband and working and so forth. So I do it for 90 days and stretch it out, you know, through the day. But it's it's amazing. It's uh, So I'll do that again. And uh, I have two books. One is a children's book I wrote a long time ago with an ex-football player, Chris Vallis, uh, one of the Vallis boys. You know, you know, the, the Vallis family played good football. You might not know, uh, Greg, because you're older than the, the, the Tito Vallis and Danny and Brock. The Billy name's Vallis. real familiar. Yeah, uh, just a wonderful family of tough, uh, great, uh, great men, uh, young men. But he... Uh, he illustrated the book. He's an art teacher in the brick schools. He illustrated wow. the book for me. And I wrote very, very simple, simple uh, children's book type, you know, content, but deeply powerful. So I'm going to write spiritual exercises that go with the book for moms and dads who are reading the book to their children. So that there's the provocation of purpose and fulfillment and um, single, we're single, uh, single creations in this huge community. We're an only child to God. So that's, that's in the book. That's that's the nature. That's the, the the gift of the book. The uh, that's that that's what's being offered from the book. But we need to get our parents to do that. So there's an evangelization of parents who buy the book, and of course uh, the children. So uh, I'm excited about that. That's 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 where I'm heading. So well, and Dan, where, where the I think you know just hearing about your children's book, there's a very powerful connection that takes place. I believe at the intersection of truth, relationship, 
an experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing with that children's book as the parents reading it to the child. You have truth and you have the relationship connection, but you're bringing in whatever those exercises are, you know, experience. It, 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 to me, that takes it to a whole new level of connection with the child and mm. trying to connect the child's heart to God's heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, when I speak, especially to young men, but to all, I keep it simple. Boys take, men give. We've said this before. So I know 65-year-old boys, and I know 14, 8-year-old men. So yep. it's a matter of generosity, you know, giving your time and your space. Uh, yep. it, it, that's the definition of our very own existence. So when we give that away, then, of course, well, Christ, who is better than that? But the book is, it's it's called Bunk, Bunky the Cloud. And it's 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 a cloud uh, who was not wanted because... Because no one wants, no one likes clouds. They want a nice sunny day. And Bunky came over a neighborhood, and it was green, and there was flowers already in the neighborhood. And they said, "Get out of here! Get away from here!" And he and he started he started to cry because he was being pushed away. And when he cried, he created rain, tears of sorrow. And then they really booed him away, and he took off through the sky, and he came over a neighborhood that was completely desolate, completely deplete of any green any flowers and the illustrator chris did a great job that people are walking around depressed and they're like you know you, you can see i think there's empty glasses of water and stuff you know they're they're thirsty they need something and they look up and they go look a cloud and then and he he booms his name they say what is your name and he booms his name through thunder i'm bunky and then he starts to cry tears of joy and then here oh. comes all the green grass and the flowers wow. love you bunky so you, you, you feel me? We're yeah, yeah. I so, love that. Yeah, That's so it's awesome. so much from that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, so, are yeah. you thinking uh, for both your books? Then are you think? Are you looking for a publisher or what? What, how, what are you thinking in that? I'm wide open uh, for that. I mean, I started writing Twenty Two Eyes with my my radio co-host, uh, and we were both so passionate about our parts in it. That it was going to become like uh, War and Peace. It was going to be about that thick, <laughs> right? Right. We had to like kind of divorce ourselves from it. Um, so the short answer to your question is, he actually stayed on his, and he he uh, self published it. Uh, I am going to turn mine over now that we've lost Francis. This is part of the burden, and I'm going to weave Francis up in there, and it's going to become absolutely Christ centered. So if I were to uh, have it published by a company, then it would have to be a Christ-centered company, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, I, what do you suggest? Self-publish. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, and when I say self-publish, I would do it through Amazon. Mm. Um, yeah. And so the, the costs to get into self-publishing through Amazon are very low. And Good once you kind of know the ropes, it's not hard. It's not I'll complicated. I'll be reaching out to you, Greg. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Let's, uh, let's really work together on getting that done. Now, I want to have you guys back. We'll pick a date to come back in um, probably February. Wait till the Super Bowl's over. But let's end with that. Let's talk <laughs> football, a, football a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Dan, are you are you you're a Giants fan? No? Uh, you're going to ask me to answer that publicly? <laughs> well, I, I, I just forget because I, I explained no, to you guys. I'm, the, the I'm, a, I'm a Giants fan. I, I'm a Giants fan. I'm in New Jersey. My sons are Giants fans. 
I was raised a Packers fan, so huh. I'm not I'm not an absolute sellout to either one, or no, and I don't sell them out that I'm fans to either. Like I'm, I'm a Giants fan, but I watched the Packers yesterday. I, I like the Bills too, as I told you yesterday, right, guys? But yeah. I like I like the Bills because of what they stand for. Like Sean McDermott is is very close friends with a very dear friend of mine, Mark Hauk is his name. He's running for Congress now, on on a, the uh, platform of faith and family. Uh, he's mm-hmm. running for Congress out of Pennsylvania. Unbelievable guy. He was a All American football player, at Catholic University of America. Uh, the FBI stormed his house because of his work with Planned Parenthood. He was facing eleven years in prison. I went. Oh to- yeah, I, I heard him on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark and I are very yeah. good friends. I do a lot of flying around with him and talks and stuff. In fact, we were in Flagstaff three days before the FBI stormed his house and held guns on his whole family. So. Um, that's another whole podcast, but. Uh, Mark and Sean McDermott were football teammates in high school. So I kind of come to know Sean through Mark and he's just, he's just a devout Christian. And, uh, and I, and I just love that, you know, so yep. like, yep. you know, we, we have, we have favorite teams because of silly things, right? Right. This, yeah, and this is not silly, but uh, so he's one of my favorite teams. I like the Packers. I like the Bills. And yes, I like the Giants, Bill. Why are you bringing that up, huh? <laughs> well, because I'm a Giants fan, and it's been a it's been a bad yeah. season for us, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not one of those Giants fans that won't root for the Eagles. So, because my uncle and two really good friends of mine, John Darcy, who you both know, he's like he's over the chart Eagles fan, you know, and. Uh, he should be on the coaching staff because every time, because <laughs> I know how to light him up. You know, I'll send him a text. <laughs> oh, what happened? You know, there was this text that went tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. What happened to the Eagles? You know, so I, <laughs> it was a meme and I sent that to Darcy and oh man, he went on and on the coaching and this and that and the other thing. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, yeah. he, Johnny actually tapes the games and then replays them during the week. And he's well known. There's a radio station in South Jersey and Philadelphia radio station where they have a whole hour of the Eagles. And he's a regular call in, and the people know who he is. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'll root for them. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be rooting for the Eagles. The Cowboys. Uh, my brother <laughs> texted me. The Cowboys revealed themselves for the frauds they are. <laughs> I tell you, you know, I, I watched some of that, you know, towards the, the end of the game, and uh, you know, it doesn't take them long to start talking about, you know, uh, McCarthy, you know, being on the way out, and they were all yeah. like speculating if Belichick will be hired. But hey, speaking of being hired. Dan, I, man, I sure hope you get that brick job. Oh, well, yeah. praise God's will be done if, if it's right. Amen. Fires yeah, me yeah, that's something to pray Thank about. You. Yeah. Uh, then the last thing, guys, I want to say before we close out is that for three boys from Brick, we we sure did marry up, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's one thing that I'm very grateful for is, is my wife, Carrie Ann, and she's you know, the, the perfect for me. I remember my mom saying, nobody's perfect. I said, she's perfect for me, mama. It's perfect yeah. for me. So, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. God knew what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. She's my most loyal, my most loyal friend. Yeah. Truly. I mean, yeah. she, her loyalty 
comes through so deeply uh, out of the blue out there. You know, it's just, you know, when I'm home, I think, you know, sometimes I think I drive her crazy, you know, because <laughs> I do. <laughs> but in the depths of her heart, she is the most loyal, loving person. You know, she. Yeah. 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 That's one of Carrie's, Carrie's best qualities, too, is loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, again, I, I enjoyed this, guys. And listen, we'll um we'll pick a date. We'll come back because I want to have you guys on regularly, and and we'll we'll talk. Love to. Yeah, by, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. By next time, the 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 cards will have fallen, and whoever's going to make the Super Bowl, everyone's predicting 49ers and Ravens. Um, my the head coach of the Southwark football team, him and I are pretty close. He was a student of mine. And now he's he's our head coach because I've been at that high school a long time. But he uh, he wants to do a podcast next year. He wants me to get it going with him f- just for the football team. But he's a big 49ers fan, you know. So when I when there's people that I really love and it's their team, you know, I, I can find a reason to root. But well, you've um, gone too far with the Eagles thing, Bill. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, well, that's that's what I hear. But what are you going to do? Hey, they represent our division, you know. And the Giants, the Giants. Isn't that, isn't that a shame, Bill? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. They, they represent our, our division. So when, when they go to the Super Bowl, right, if they beat the Giants, then we want them to win because then, the, you know, if they lose, then the Giants are even that much worse, you know. That's why that's why there's heaven for you and purgatory for me. <laughs> <laughs> the abysmal season. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to end the recording. We can hang out and talk a little bit. Want to thank you again for coming on. I'll put a lot of different things in the in the show notes so that people can reach out to you if, if they want to. Okay, sounds great. All right, thank you again for listening. If you want to get in touch with any of us, our emails are in the show notes. There is information on Greg's books in the show notes. Information on Dan Duddy's speaking schedule at danduddy.com in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And if you want to. If anybody's out there and they want to share their story, come on. Get in touch with us because you know what? My story's not over. Your story's not over. The loved ones who's gone, who have got before us, their story is not over. The story is not over.